Welcome to the Captain's Table and our end of year show. My name's Michael and joining me as always is Roz. Hi Roz. Hi Michael, great to be here. Great to, great to be here. I, I think it's our first recorded in December actually because we, we've been a, a bit behind but um, we also have a, a guest with us, a we guest do. host or guest I, presenter. I, I've brought the hubby with me today. <laughs> yes, you're filling. <laughs> He's usually uh, he's usually behind, not behind the microphone, but behind the scenes doing the editing for the show. But yeah, your stunt here. double, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here to look back at 2020, and unfortunately, it's only in um, the Star Trek universe rather than everything else that's been going on this year. <laughs> it's been a rough year, but I mean, the the way I look at it is, as a Star Trek fan. We've had some fantastic novels out this year. We've had some great TV out this year and there's a lot more to come. So I'm ending this year on an optimistic note. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So what we're going to be doing on this show is we've got some categories and we're we're going to do our end of year awards for things such as uh, best best author, best novel, etc. And we're also going to be looking at... um, the three TV shows we were spoilt with uh, this year as well, and, and just some generic thoughts on those. And anything else to sum up our year uh, back on the captain's table? Definitely, and it's been a good one. As Vive said, it's been a great year for, for Trek, if not for everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about the number so- of authors you guys have you know, spoken to this year, And they're all very prominent. They're all big names when it comes to being a Star Trek author. You know, from uh, Una and her fantastic novel uh, that launched the Star Trek Picard novel series. And you had Dayton, you had David Mack, you had John Jackson Miller. You had a few others as well who probably talked about later in this one, but we haven't released them yet. So I don't know how much you want to say about them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> teasing the listeners there teasing them with shows yeah. still to come <laughs> oh yes <laughs> always leave them wanting more we've been really lucky with everyone wanting to come back on the show after our uh, short break from recording podcasts <laughs> yeah our, our short three-year break from recording how <laughs> <laughs> time um, flies <laughs> indeed indeed well this you know, 2020 feels like it's lasted about three years so well it's amazing how we got back into things though um and how it felt like we hadn't been away at all certainly with those who came on the show to um uh talk about their books and also for the listeners i think for many it was um they got straight back into things as well which has been brilliant yeah and the feedback that we've had from the listeners has been lovely as well um it's been it's been really nice to to know that there's people that are enjoying listening to the podcasts and and that maybe it's inspiring them to go out and pick up a a new read enjoy a story that they wouldn't have otherwise discovered absolutely so guys should we just jump straight into the tv shows then because as we mentioned we've had we've had three series to enjoy this year Mm-hmm. Yep, sounds good to me. And I suppose you'd want to start with Star Trek Picard because that was the first one this year. Definitely. And and I was lucky enough to go to the UK premiere for um, Star Trek Picard. So that, that was definitely an experience. 
Yeah, tell us a bit more what that was like, because, you know, you've told us, but you haven't told everyone else. So give us a little taste of what that was like. It was it was really strange, actually, because it was a very much a, like a, a red carpet event. And um, even those attending the preview had to walk along the sort of red carpet part to, to come through and to go into the go into the Odeon Leicester Square. Um, it, it was just very surreal because um, we, we were inside the cinema and um, we were supposed to watch three episodes, actually. But they, but somebody only bought one and um, the, Sir Patrick was quite disappointed. Apparently, he wanted to show us um, at least more than one episode, but just to see one before everybody else was fantastic and all the cast were there. So it, it was just really, really enjoyable. And um, yeah, it was, it was just very, very special. So thank you to Amazon for, for organizing that for us. Wow, that, that, you know, that's cool. And you know, for the listeners that don't know what an Odeon is, an Odeon is a cinema. And cinemas are things that we used to go to to oh. watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pre-2020 when you were allowed to sit in a room with other people to watch a film. <laughs> Odeons might be the only ones we've got left because I think Sunny <laughs> Worlds are full shut down now, haven't they? Yeah, until at least April. Yeah. Mm. Which back. is a shame for, you know, everyone that used to work in the cinema trade and, you know, all the people that used to work in hospitality like I do. And it's frightening times, but, you know, we just have to hope for a better tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, back to Star Trek Picard. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so we started off, uh, we started off the year with Star Trek Picard and. I don't, I don't know what I expected from it. I was, I knew that it was going to be quite different because I know Sir Patrick had said in all the the lead up that it was going to be quite a different Picard than the Picard that we'd known from TNG. Um, but it was really, I mean, it was an even more different show than I think I was expecting. Um, and it definitely, I got to say, it did probably take me a couple of episodes to get into it and to decide if I was if I was on board, um, because it was quite a big departure from what we'd had before. And and um, strange to see Picard being Picard, but not Picard, if you know what I mean. He was kind of a lot more jaded for the first couple of episodes. He'd lost his, he'd lost a bit of his spark. And that was, that was sad to see to begin with. I, I think one of the things that really kind of spoke to that was when you read through Una's book, which obviously launched the Star Trek Picard novel series, and we've got another one coming next year. And you saw how it was really the bureaucracy that kind of chipped away at them. And, you know, the fear that spread through the Federation when the Romulan, you know, empire collapsed. And here was Picard doing his best and trying and trying and trying... And he kept hitting roadblocks and he didn't have his crew around him. And although he had a, a new crew that were very good, they weren't his crew. And uh, then there was the, the incident in Mars that kind of stopped everything and really drove him into isolation, as we see in the TV series. And I think it's a very true representation of where the world is today compared to the more idealized version of Star Trek we had back in the 80s and the 90s. And there's Star Trek reflecting real life again. But at the same time, it, it was very dark. And at times, I'm not 100% sure the series knew what it was. 
because sometimes it had a bit of a, a really rich drama feel to it and at other times it had kind of an action thrillery kind of feel to it and for me I'm not sure it quite knew what genre it was I, I enjoyed it but it didn't set my world alight no I, I enjoyed the series and and I see where you're, you're coming from there Fieve. um I've just recently rewatched it actually, and um, over two days I watched all ten episodes, and um, I, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. And there were some really standout episodes, and and in some ways, again, you know, you could have condensed that into perhaps seven or eight episodes rather than ten, and it did feel a bit stretched out at times. But overall, it, I think it's set a good foundation for a second season. Yeah, I'd say that's fair. And, you know, I need to watch it again because I, I did enjoy Discovery Season 1 a lot more on the second watch. And I'm looking forward to the next season. But just some of the things, you know, I could see from quite a bit out where they were going with the Picard plot. But I think Seven's story arc was kind of rushed. And where they brought her to a conclusion. There was just, I don't know, I, I think it's overly harsh for me to judge this much because... We've never had a Star Trek series that's been great before season three. Like that's always kind of recognised as Star Trek's great at season three. It's one of these ones where I think it was a great setup series uh, season, but for me, I, 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 I'm looking for a bit more polish on it. Probably. I suppose we had the same thing with Discovery. Season one was a bit finding its feet. And then suddenly season two hit and it got really, really good. And everybody was like, yes, it's finally Star Trek. Um, but it maybe just Picard's maybe the same. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy Picard because I actually, by the end of it, um, and certainly some of the last few episodes, I really enjoyed. And oh, so many tears, so many tears at the end <laughs> with, oh, I feel like I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not seen it, but it's it's been out for a while. So I just say the, the bit mm. with Data. Oh, so many tears. But um, yeah, I, I always feel like one of the, out of all the iterations of Star Trek, one of the things that makes it Star Trek for me and that runs through all of the franchise and has to run through all the franchise is like those core values that started it all off of, hoping for a better future and trying to be better than we are and trying to set a good example and being trying to live a virtuous life and not be motivated out of self-interest but be motivated out of the greater good and all those things that made Star Trek the morality play that it always was I just feel like in Picard, especially in the first few episodes, you gotta, God, man, you gotta look hard to find those things. Um, because everybody just seems to have gone, eh, to hell with it. I'm just gonna look out for number one. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, but that's not really, that's not really what, why I watch Star Trek. I watch Star Trek like for hope for the future. I don't watch it to go like, oh yeah, yeah, the world's totally screwed <laughs> and it look it's only going to get worse. But I think as it went on, that started to reemerge and and part of the point of it became that Picard was rekindling that that he mm -hmm. was like the beacon of hope and goodness and virtue and those core federation beliefs and he was trying to root out the corruption that had chipped away at that and um 
and unearth them and take them back to where they needed to be. And so that gives me hope for season two in the same way that we had to go through that with season one discovery. That gives me hope for season two that they'll will regain some of that Federation and Starfleet virtue in the second season. And it will maybe be a slightly more hopeful show than the first season was. Yeah, for me, there was a lot of positives. I mean, I know I sounded a bit negative about it, but I thought the characters were all fantastic. The acting was fantastic. Um, the presentation, the production values were all fantastic. Mm, it's just, yeah. I think you were right. It didn't quite feel Star Trek enough for me. It, it felt a lot more to me like Battlestar Galactica set in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, great. You know, that kind of dark, moody, but even where Deep Space Nine was kind of grittier and darker and moodier, it still felt like Star Trek to me, but this kind of didn't always feel like Star Trek. Well, I think Deep Space Nine, it had its dark and gritty, but it was usually balanced out with a light, a light-hearted B-plot. So yeah, mm. they were maybe trapped on a you know on a the battle lines with dominion and fighting for their lives but they kind of cut back to quark being mischievous or garrick winding everybody up or something mm -hmm. you know something a bit more light-hearted and it kept it balanced and stopped it the whole show from being gritty and dark whereas i feel like they went to a real extreme with um with picard and with um uh, season one discovery and they ramped up the violence level as well I, I have no problem with a certain level of violence and phaser battles and pew, you know shoot them up pew 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 that's fine but when you start hearing necks snapping and seeing people like disintegrating from the inside out with blood and gore and guts and blah it starts to get a bit for me I'm not I don't like graphic violence and I feel like they, they started to veer into that a little bit too a bit too far for me so I'm hoping that maybe they'll ease up on the, the graphic violence as well because wow. I always think of, we'll, we'll... I always think of Star Trek as being a family show and I would not mm -hmm. let my kids watch that I mean that's definitely a there I think they're they are rated 15s aren't they yeah they are so yeah like that's not it, those that's not a family show anymore. The the new iterations, which is a bit of a shame because Star Trek something I want to be able to share with our son as he grows up. And I'm really I I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing like Picard and and a lot of Discovery until he was much much older because I think they're just they're way too graphic for him. Yeah, that Discovery bar fight scene you you just didn't like it. Oh did God, you? I watched that from in between my fingers. <laughs> Oh, no, I was just going to say that it, it's strange, really, because um, the new style of television, they, they've almost got rid of the B-plot completely. And mm -hmm. it, it is just this continued season um, arc, story arc. And as, as such, you don't have those lighter moments. And, and hopefully the change we saw in season two of Discovery, where it became more hopeful, will happen to Picard. And, and I think you're right about the violence, because when I was watching the show again especially the episode with Echep with his eye being pulled out etc that's quite graphic really and and it didn't really enhance the storytelling it's it it just gore for gore we could have a good writer would have been able to tell that story not saying the writers are bad by the way but a good writer would have been able to have captured that 
without the gore, I think, be through the emotion of Seven and what she, you know, what she discovered. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think sometimes it's just graphic for graphic sake. The same way that in um, one of the, the recent episodes of uh, Discovery, there's the, the barroom fight and you see all of it and he, and not just see it, but hear it. Oh God, it's so gross in graphic detail. And Fim and I had a discussion about this um, and we said, you know, it would have been so much more impactful for me if you'd seen them all kind of standing there facing off and then you maybe cut to the outside of the bar where you hear you know a, a big ruckus and then when you see the interior again all the guys are on the floor and dead and or or incapacitated and you didn't like you know it happened but we didn't need to see every single blow and impact and bone breaking and what in graphic detail because it's just stomach turning <laughs> I'm, so, I'm such a not a wuss for these things but I just don't think it's necessary I don't want to see that Blech. Blech. I, I think I think the reason the Mandalorian can get away with it is because when you see the the violence it's always against a stormtrooper who's in an outfit and a lot of the damage is done to the outfit to the you know the white plastic uniform so when I think it was Boba Fett was, you know, swinging that big kind of mallet around and you were seeing helmets getting shattered and things, it was the plastic you saw go flying, not the person's face and, you know, blood and guts. So it's not as gory, yeah. which is why I think they got away with it. Whereas when you watch Star Trek and it is blood and guts, it's like, geez, I, I see more blood and guts in an episode of Star Trek now than you did an entire season of Deep Space Nine. And that's saying something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I still liked Picard. Um, I loved Cristobal Rios. I loved his holograms. I thought they were fantastic. Oh, I they were so good. <laughs> I think that was an attempt at humour. Um, but we need more of that if they're going to be dark. There has to be more humour. And I think because all the characters were working through problems in season one, um, quite, you know, troubling you know, character arcs for, I think, everyone. It would be good to see them getting a bit of an easier ride in season two. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting what you were saying, Michael, about them getting rid of the B-plot as well, because I think that without the B-plot, you miss out on a lot of character development that that mm -hmm. happens as a byproduct of those B-plots. And I know we've not really got on to Discovery yet, but one of the things that... Fiv and I were talking about recently is that we're the, like the end of season three for um for Discovery and there are some of the bridge crew and still literally the only thing I can tell you about them after three seasons is their name like there's been no additional development for some of the bridge crew um who are in like every episode but you don't get a lot of backstory for them you don't get a lot of plot development you don't get because it's all focused on the Burnham storylines or the Saru storylines and if they had those B-plots it would maybe balance it out a wee bit more where you get to know some of the peripheral characters a bit better. I mean, the Discovery kind of flounders under its own weight sometimes just because they've got such an enormous cast crew um, but whereas previous iterations there was always like a core maybe like seven or uh, whatever but whereas Discovery there's loads of them there's like a dozen or something well, you know what you, you say that but then you go to deep space nine where you had 
you know, the Starfleet crew, the Bajoran crew, then you had Quark and his, you know, various underlings. You had Garrick running around, but you knew who every single one of them was and they were all fleshed out characters for the most part. You, you know, you knew Rom was the bumbling, but kind-hearted Ferengi. You knew Nog was, you know, a little troublemaker, but he was still smart and, you know, he did like Jake, so you knew that he was, there was some worth to him. Um, yeah, they all got a bit of character yeah. development, but that was mainly down to the B plots. Yeah, but whereas that Discovery Bridge crew, you're like, okay, I know you, I know you, and I know you. <laughs> Who are the rest of you? You know, if you don't there's sit some, at those front stations, that, that, that you're come, done. come and go, but we still don't know their name. Like the guy with the 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 really really alien one who's got the really really big kind of bulbous head and the like. I don't know, like extra orifices at the front and whatnot. And, and, and you're, you're not been... talking about Linus. No, not Linus, because we know you're Linus. He's like the, the reptilian one. one. I'm talking about the other one that's got like the kind of upside yeah. down triangle, like almost rounded upside mm-hmm. down triangle head with incredibly big cranium. And I don't think we've even he's even had a name yet. But he's in it a lot <laughs> and he's part of the bridge crew. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, maybe we should veer on to Discovery now because we've um we've spoken quite a lot about Picard. Yeah. So Discovery's had a, a great third season, I think. You know, we, we have three episodes left to go. And um, where, when we're recording this, I should say, we've got three episodes to go. And uh, I, I think it's been a really solid season. Yeah, I've really enjoyed yeah. it. I think um, oh, there's obviously a little bit of lag between Phoebe and I as well, because we sometimes <laughs> talk over each other. Um, I think that uh, Discovery's getting better and better. I do like season three has been very different than season two because we are missing Pike and Spock, and I'm looking forward to seeing their show because I really actually really miss them. But I think this has been a really good season, and I love the addition of Booker. He is such a good character for this season, and he balances out Burnham really well because she's been quite a different character this season and I've I've enjoyed the change because she was she was always a bit too angsty for me <laughs> um, in the first two seasons and I think that she's mellowed slightly and that's down to a lot of influence of Booker um, for this season so no I, I, I've liked season three and um, it, it's it's like you say Rose they're taking things away and and the cast and the stories have got to stand on its own now because you've lost Pike and Spock and you've just lost, spoiler alert, sorry listeners, you've just left, lost Emperor Giorgio. Um, um, so they're taking away these these key characters and the stories, you know, it's going to have to survive on, on, on what's left really. Yeah, and I think the loss of George, it's always weird because George, Giorgio is a Greek name and they mispronounce it dreadfully, but it's awkward for me. But Giorgio, I think she's going to be a big loss as a presence on the show Um, because she was a strong character that knew where she was going and she always knew what she was doing. Whereas I look at the rest of that crew, Stamets has an idea where he's going, Culper has an idea where he's going. The rest, you know, when you see, uh, was it Jet? She always Mm -hmm. seems to know where she's going. But the rest of them are all kind of lost in their own story. And I think they're going to miss that kind of determination in a character of, 
I know that I'm going over there and you can put 10 people in front of me, I'm still going to be over there by the time this is finished. I just don't think the rest of them, the characters are still kind of in that phase of wish they're still developing. Yeah, finding their feet. I think you're right. There's not a lot of really confident characters. That was one thing about like in previous iterations of Star Trek, the main characters were always, they'd, you know, they'd worked up the ranks and they got to where they were and they were very confident in their own authority. And they brought, especially characters like Picard, brought a gravitas and they were, you know, they knew what they wanted and they knew what the protocols were and they had the complete confidence of their crew and they were all moving forward. And in Discovery, you don't really have a lot of confident characters you've got you know Saru is like a newly minted captain who's still a bit who's only really just finding out about himself because he thought that Kelpians went mad and died (laughs) um, and that he wasn't going to survive and and suddenly he's this whole new version of himself that he's still kind of finding his feet and they've all been displaced and it's a really difficult time and uh, Michael doesn't know if she's coming or going most of the time and the rest of the bridge crew we don't know <laughs> yeah. enough about to make a judgment other than Detmer had a whole PTSD thing going on where she really doubted herself and they've all been through the ringer but it's meant that you don't apart from Giorgio you don't really have a really really confident character and I think Phoebe's right one of the only characters that is like totally self-assured and is totally underused is Jet because she is just like yeah I'm amazing at what I do I totally know what I'm up to. I can build you a warpship out of bubblegum wrappers and, and toothpicks. Uh, yeah, no problem. But she's only in like every fourth episode or something for like five minutes. She kind of comes in and makes witty quips and then goes away again. Um, but that's she's really one of the only conf- really self-confident characters in the show um, at the moment, which is a bit of a shame because we had that in season two with Pike because Pike was like, he was a seasoned captain and he was in control of the situation and he was just getting on with it and rallying everybody else around. And this season, we've really not had somebody like that other than Giorgio. And yeah, now she's gone, it'll be interesting to see how they fill that void. I I agree. I, I, first of all, I think she had some of the best one-liners in the series and and that's going to, that's definitely going to be missed. Um, because as we were talking about with Picard, um, there wasn't those lighter moments. And I thought even though in, in the midst of drama and, and everything going wrong, she would come out with these one-liners, which, which were really funny. And um, mm-hmm. it just sort of mellowed the episode a bit. Um, going back to the, the, what you were saying about um, being confident and everything, uh, hopefully the part of the story of the if they get seven years or if that's what they're aiming for, we'll see the crew grow. But the only thing I'll throw in there is will, will Saru stay the captain? And um, that that's my sort of thing because obviously we had a comment and I'm not spoiling it in the last episode of Discovery and uh, which really my, my ears popped up when I heard yeah. that. And um, could someone else become the captain? Because Saru's get, getting banged about quite a bit in the in this series. Yeah, yeah, he is. And, you know, I'll be honest, the, the comment, I, I think we all picked up on it. I really hope not. I really hope not. Because I don't think that character's done a single thing to deserve a shot at the whip. 
at all. Um, for me, I, I kind of hope that they're going to take um, Tilly and that she'll wind up in, in the final kind of run as the captain because she seems to be progressing and she has the confidence of the crew. And I wonder if this is really going to be a show about her progression rather than the Michael Burnham story is the B story, Telly's progression to sitting in that central chair and be the captain. Because I, I, I don't like the alternative that, <laughs> that was hinted at. Uh, I just, I don't think the character deserves that shot at all. Nah. Not yet. <laughs> I, I just don't think the character's done anything. I mean, you're not going to be able to go into this without spoilers yeah okay so I just won't touch it because you'll either have seen it or you won't you'll know what (laughs) I mean but um, I just think the character especially after where the characters come from just for me it's a no I think we're heading for a big plot twist reveal at the end of season three Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see what direction that points the show for season four, uh, because I I, sus- I have my suspicions about what's been going on and about what caused the burn and about r- relationships with the whole um, emerald chain thing. Um, and I'm I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure if we might not be meeting getting another bad moral in the mix, but I am. Um, interested to see where that goes because I think that'll be a big indicator of where the show's going to go in the next season um, and who's going to be taking the lead and what kind of like what plot story arc is going to be the big main one going forward so that'll be interested to see the next three episodes looking forward to it yeah definitely I, I can't wait for it and as I say I, I've really enjoyed this season um, I think I've enjoyed it more than Picard though seeing Patrick Stewart back has has been one of the highlights of the year I would say but I've definitely enjoyed Discovery more yeah I, I think for me um, I've really enjoyed Discovery more than Picard and again it's not a slight on Picard it's just I think Discovery is obviously more established uh, I think Stamets and Culper have been great this year. I think they're the unsung heroes of this season for me. But I also think watching Tilly progress has been fantastic. I think she's a great character. I think the performance is fantastic. And, you know, I, I, I like Saru. I think Saru's a fantastic performance and a great character. But for me, I just think... Tilly's a more interesting character. For me, I can see an edge of Saru kind of linking to Tom Paris in a way of, can he actually get out of his own way? Whereas I think Tilly is trying and she's winning over the crew and, you know, she's wound up first officer. So I think that's more interesting for me. But anyway, I am looking forward to the next season. But my question to you would be, you know, you said, are, are they hoping for seven years? Are they going to be able to get to seven years of Discovery? Because we've got Discovery, we've got Picard, Strange New Worlds, the Section 31 show, 
that's four. Lord X is five. Prodigy is six. It was hinted in a, a previous show that we did um, by someone. I can't remember who it was, that there's other projects in the mix and then, you know, pre-production being thrown around. How many Star Trek shows are we going to have? And at what point will Discovery have to go to make way for something else? You might end up seeing them rotate each other. Like one year it's going to be Discovery, one year it might be a different show and do mm -hmm. that rather than having all of them on at the same time each year. They might rotate mm -hmm. them into, and also in terms of production. And that gives the mm -hmm. actors times to go into other projects, possibly. Mm -hmm. They're also aimed at very different audiences, I think, a lot of them. Maybe not so much Picard and Discovery, because they were kind of they're kind of similar in style and audience demographic. But I mean, something like Lower Decks or Prodigy, they're really aimed at totally different demographics than say Picard or Discovery or some of the previous, you know, any of the previous shows. Um, so I think it depends on how. I feel kind of like they're throw they're just throwing it all at the wall and seeing what sticks, <laughs> and it might yeah. be that some of the shows don't work and they only maybe get one or two or three seasons, but the ones that are really popular, those will be the ones that maybe run for like seven seasons, six or seven seasons. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly, I'm looking forward to a fourth season of Discovery. I might so even look on. forward to season two of Lord X. Although it, that was more, <laughs> that was more your show than mine was. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we, we talk about Lower Decks? <laughs> oh man, Star Trek Lower Decks, where they forgot the funny. <laughs> oh man, you've just loved it, and I was totally unconvinced. Although I admit, I will admit, it got it got better towards the end of the season. It got better. I mean, I'll be honest. I I I did not like the first or second episode. I, I I watched them and thought, "What the hell is this?" And um, then episode three rolls around, and oh, his name escapes me, but it's the commander, and they're all ransom. You know, ransom. That's it. Yeah. And you know, the mission's gone sideways. And, you know, he just has that moment that's pure Kirk and Riker where the uniform gets ripped. And I just went, aha. So this, this show is not Star Trek. This is a send up of Star Trek in the biggest ways possible. I get it now. And from there on, I actually really, really liked the show all the way up to the final episode where they did the big reveal in the last five minutes and we've got the big debut, on-screen debut. And neither of you will agree with me on this. Lord X was my series of the year. Oh, you are correct. You I do not agree with you. <laughs> 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 oh man, no, no. I don't, yes. I didn't, I didn't hate it by the end, which I did think I was going to. My biggest problem with Lord X is still that they announced that it would be canon. See if it wasn't considered canon. See if it was just like, this is a send up of Star Trek, but it's it's totally separate and doesn't have anything to do with the other shows. Fine. It was, it's basically Futurama with a Star Trek film, like filter over it. That's fine. It was funny. There was a lot of 
it, towards the end, it wasn't funny in the beginning. <laughs> the, the jokes totally didn't land for the first few episodes, but towards the end, it got quite amusing. And yeah, the like the last couple of episodes, I'll admit, I had some big laugh out loud moments. But oh my god, it bugs me no end that this is supposed to be considered canon because it contradicts like everything that we know about Starfleet and the Federation and everything up until this point and it just makes me crazy that this like it just wouldn't happen (laughs) it just makes me crazy but yeah as a standalone comedy animated show it was fine it was it was amusing well I'm sort of in in the middle because certainly after the first couple of episodes uh, as I said they forgot the funny they definitely forgot the funny and then gradually, it, it, the jokes, it's like the Orville. It, it's when the Orville first came out because yeah. the Orville couldn't find its place. And then when they toned down the humour and put it in the right place, it worked perfectly. And I think with Lower Decks, they started to, it started to fit better, the humour with the storytelling. And then that's when I laughed more because I think it took three or four episodes for me to actually laugh, laugh. You know, when I was watching the first couple, it was more like a little polite chuckle, but it was like, oh, I see they were trying to make a joke there. On. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in my very posh voice. <laughs> and um, it, it, it was it, it wasn't until, I don't know, halfway through. And I think the the holodeck episode where um, they do the movie. Badgie. Yeah, the movie. Oh, that, I, I hate Badgie. I absolutely hate Badgie, <laughs> and um, I, I, I think, uh, yeah, let's not talk about Badgie. It's like my eyes started to twitch already. <laughs> yeah. So it's like Inspector Cluzo. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, no, I think the episode where they did the movie in the holodeck and then you had the, the rousing score that, that was like James Horner's from The Wrath of Calm. Yeah. And um, that, was, that was just fantastic. That was just pure Easter egg. And, you know, we're going to find with Lower Decks, can a, can a show survive purely on Easter eggs? Or yeah. is it, or is the storytelling going to grow and the jokes are going to grow? And, and, and that's what we get to. And, and the last episode... I, I thought was brilliant and I really enjoyed it and the big rescue at the end. And, um, I, you know, I think I laughed the most, the last scene of that episode where uh, Riker with the jazz, I think that's the biggest laugh I had of all 10 episodes. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> I, I just think, you know, if you look at it as a season one where you go into it with no expectations. It's a completely different thing to, you know, the live action shows. Um, And I cut it slack where I don't cut the card slack because they knew what a live action Star Trek was before this. They had not done an animated Star Trek like this in what, 40 years, 30 years? Yeah. And And even then they hadn't really done it because this was a comedy and the previous one was just an animated an animated version of TUS. It was it was still a yeah a sci-fi drama. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this is very much a tongue-in-cheek Star Trek animated comedy. And I, I cut it a bit more slack. Um I but the thing is all the characters were distinctive. Yeah. Um 
the stories were, were very clever in some ways. And, you know, I'm, if you could say to me that I get one of them next year, the three of them, it, it would be Lord X. And I know both of you are going to go, no. <laughs> but I just think I, I would rather have another, well, we only got 10, but I'd rather have 30 episodes of Lord X than um, 30 more episodes of Discovery. Sorry. Because um, I just think it's different. Well, what about and you, Michael? Be- What's your favourite of the year? Um, my heart is saying Picard. Um, the heart's definitely saying Picard, but um, I'm going to go with Discovery as the most enjoyable one. Um, and then, then Picard and then Lower Decks. But I think as a Star Trek fan, um, I'm so happy we, we're, we're being spoiled so much with with three shows anyway, and it's great to be able to talk about it and there are good things about all of them. So we're, we're, it's just a, another good time for a Star Trek fan. But I've got to go with Discovery. Yeah, me too. For me, it was Discovery. Um, I, I enjoyed Picard as a whole. There were episodes that I was less keen on than others. And because it was just essentially one giant story cut into sections, it wasn't at all episodic. Um, there were some episodes that were harder to get through than others because they were just furthering the plot and they were a bit some of them were just a bit grim and like you said you know as we've discussed there were just some bits that was it just went too far into the dark for me um but as a whole i enjoyed it and there were a lot of really good points about it lower decks has not entirely won me over yet although it got better towards the end and I will give the second season a chance. But for me, Discovery has been really enjoyable this season. Um, maybe maybe not as overall fun as season two, because I, again, I think Pike bought, brought a levity to it that was more reminiscent of, of old Trek that I enjoyed and we've not, we've had a lot of interest and intrigue and things being a bit different this season, which I've enjoyed, but there hasn't been a huge amount of levity. Um, And again, I've missed that. I miss the balance between the high drama and the slightly more lighthearted, feel good element of Star Trek. But I'm looking forward to seeing how they end out the season and I'm looking forward to season four. So, just like the TV shows, we've certainly been spoilt for choice this year with um, Star Trek stories. So before we jump in and, and um, discuss our favourite stories and, and uh, a few other categories we've come up with, let me just read out the stories we've had this year. And for the listeners, um, we will put links where you can find the books and uh, on Amazon, etc. And uh, hopefully if you haven't read them, you can go and pick one up. So in February, we had The Last Best Hope by Una McCormack, which is a Star Trek Picard novel. In March, we had The Higher Frontier by Christopher L. Bennett, which was an original series story. In April, we had The Unsettling Stars by Alan Dean Foster, which was a Kelvin universe story. In June, we had Agents of Influence by Dayton Ward, which again was an original series story. In July, we had Die Standing by John Jackson Miller, which was a discovery novel. In August, we had More Beautiful Than Death by David Mack, 
which again was a discovery novel. In October, we had To Lose the Earth by Kirsten Beyer. And also in October, we had the autobiography of Catherine Janeway by Una McCormack. And in November, we had A Contest of Principles by Greg Cox. Now, apart from the novels, there were also a few other little books that came out. So I'll just give them quick mentions. Uh, we had the Kirk Fu Manual by Dayton Ward. We had the Alphabet Book, again, for all ages. We had the Illustrated Voyager Manual. We had the Art of Star Trek The Motion Picture. We had the Art of Star Trek Discovery. We had the Artistry of Dan Curry. And finally, we had Star Trek Voyager, A Celebration. So there have been loads of books this year for all tastes in Star Trek to enjoy. Yeah, it's been a good year for Trek all around. <laughs> and so many good, really, really good stories. So I'm actually, I'm really interested to hear what everybody else's favorite books and covers and authors and whatnot's been this year because um I, I having spoken to Fave, I know that he and I have got quite different thoughts on it. So it'd be interesting to see if we've got like three totally different perspectives on on uh, this year's story offerings. So which one should we start with? Let's um let's go backwards. Let's do what was our favourite Star Trek story we read this year, which wasn't a, a new release? Mm. If we read one. Oh, I know. I know what mine was. Mine was Enterprise War by John Jackson Miller, which was a 2019 release, but I read it in like, I think April or something like that when I was I was listening to it while I was painting our ensuite bathroom. <laughs> so I keep track of when I did things. What I was what was I doing while I was listening to this book? Um, and uh, that is just a cracking novel. That was such a good story. It's a Pike book. It, it's it it gives you a bit of backstory about him, about some of the the stuff from the events from his his younger not quite childhood but from his sort of adolescent days that shaped him into the man that he become it was actiony it had some great spock stuff going on it it had space battles and new species and just a load of good tosy stuff going on and i just really enjoyed it um and uh, I thought when I when I initially read it, I thought it was one of the ones from this year, but it wasn't. It was it was a 2019 release. I was just a bit late to the game, but that was my favourite non 2020 release that I read this year. Cracking story. How about yourself, Faith? I love Enterprise War, and I'm going to start by saying that I, I think it's a fantastic novel. I think it's probably the best of the Discovery line so far. However, I love it, really, really love it, but I really, really love Fortune of War by David Mack, and I cannot decide between them, and Fortune of War is a Titan novel that came out in 2017 and throws back to the TNG episode. I think the episode's called Survivors. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like a sequel to that with uh, Riker and Vale uh, on the Titan. It is an utterly fantastic book. It is 
what I wish we were seeing on TV. That, yeah, that. Fortune of War, so, David Mack, <laughs> that's my book. Oh, well. So some great choices. Now, starting with Roz, um, the Enterprise War is really good. And what stood out for me or for that book was the character that we saw in the first episode of season two who got killed because he was really arrogant. I can't remember. Was it Connor? Conway? Connor? Connor? Something. And, yes, um, Con I, Connolly. Conway or Connolly or something. Connolly, sorry. Connolly, yeah. Connolly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's just Connolly. as big a tool um, in this in the book as he is in the TV <laughs> show. <laughs> Exactly. It, it was no <laughs> redeeming qualities. So no. it was like, if, if, if the idea was to, to give him some good qualities, it didn't work. And next time we speak to John, we should ask him that question, really. Yeah, like, were um, you just making sure we and, didn't feel sorry for him getting smushed against an asteroid? <laughs> 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 just like, oh, no great loss. Don't worry about it. He was a total arse. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And, and I think for, Fortune of War Thief, that, that was a really good book. And, and I find with the Titan series, if Mac or Swallow or James Swallow write them, they're fantastic novels. Anybody else, they miss, they miss it. They miss Titan, I think. And that was a really enjoyable book. And um, my favourite discovery book, by the way, was David Mack's. I think that was the second one to come out. I think that was really mm. early on where it's the Lorca story with Giorgio. No, not David. Yes, yeah. David Max. With jo yeah, that was the first one. Giorgio and yeah, that was the first one then. Drastic Measures. Yeah. I, no, I'm which was the second no, one? It was, it, Drastic it was a, Measures was Dayton Ward. Uh, who, oh, no. So it's David Max one. And it was where uh, it's Giorgio and Lorca. Yeah. That's, that's the one I liked. That, that's Drastic Measures. So that's no, the one I like then. That's so my that's favorite Dayton. discovery story. That's Dayton. That's Dayton. Actually, I think it's Dayton. I think that's the. Is that the second one actually? Because I think. Yeah. The first oh, it's Dayton one, then. It must be Dayton. It must be Dayton the, then. Yeah, it's Dayton because the first one was David Mack, and that's Desperate Measures. Oh, that was the Burnham and Spock story. Yeah. Yeah. Desperate okay, Measures so yes. is is uh the Spock and burnham aboard the yeah. starship shenzo lieutenant michael burnham a human woman raised and educated yeah. amongst falcons is promoted to acting first officer and then she has yeah. an adventure with uh an ancient Spock. alien vessel yeah so it's the second one that that's my favorite discovery story even though i can't remember the title um <laughs> drastic measures <laughs> But, um, oh, that's good. Uh, however, my, my story of the year out of the archives was actually um, The Art of the Impossible oh, by Keith yeah. R.A. De Candido. 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 Uh, that Candido. Candido. Yes, thank you. In, insert that. Candido. Candido. There you go. I got there in the end. Um, that was, yes, him, that one, Keith, the one who does the <laughs> blogs. Um, <laughs> that that was <laughs> that 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 was actually my favourite. I've read quite a lot of TNG this year, but um, this one just reminded me of of some of the books Una McCormack did with uh, Cardassian. This one's all about Klingons and Cardassians, and it, it spanned quite a few decades, and I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a that was a really good read. I enjoyed that one as well. It probably it's 
it's like a very close second to the ones that I read this year at the archive. Um, but I just feel it was it was such a good story. It's a bit more in depth, and Enterprise War just pipped it on the being slightly more quicker paced and keeping the story moving along um, at a slightly more um, it was more upbeat in places, whereas Art of the Impossible is a slightly heavier story, albeit that it's told extremely well. So they're really, really close. That was it was also a great, great choice. I think the one the one thing I, I do want to mention though is one of the things I keep going back to is John Jackson Miller and the Prey trilogy. <gasps> so good. And I Again, possibly a controversial statement because I know everyone loves Destiny, but I think the pre-trilogy is actually better than the Destiny trilogy. I think there's a little bit of lag in the Destiny trilogy because they have to set so much up and they have to introduce the Kaliar because um, they're such a big thing and they have to kind of reintroduce Captain Hernandez. Hernandez, yeah. Erica Hernandez. Hernandez. And they have to kind of do a bit of set up with all the, where everyone is now in Esri and things like that. Whereas uh, the Prey trilogy for me was just, we're coming in right where everyone knows with vintage TOS movies and then we're going straight into TNG and we're leaning heavily on the TNG cast. And I think, I, I, for me, that is the better Star Trek trilogy. I think it's um, definitely John Jackson Miller's best work. Well, well, is it? Because oh, I love isn't Enterprise War. Yeah, but Enterprise War is also John Jackson Miller, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a trilogy. <laughs> the trilogy is fantastic. Know. It's so good. There, there, there's more. It's of more it. epic. It's, there's more of it, and it's more epic. Okay, well, I'll, I'll more epic than Enterprise War. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Um, sorry. I, I was going to say, when I read Prey, um, I didn't enjoy it that much. So <gasps> I think perhaps, I, I, I think, I think one, we should have a Prey show next year. I think Definitely. we should mm-hmm. um, review the books and then get John Jackson Miller on to discuss them. And um, I'll go back and reread them. And, and it could be, I, I just need to give it a second passing, so to speak. And um Mm-hmm. See, see what we think. Sounds good. Yeah. Any excuse to listen to them? <laughs> I, I think you should do a show on each book, and there you get three shows, and you get John on for the fourth one, and we're done. There's a there's a that quarter like of the year. There's a month um, gone. <laughs> started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a plan. So, moving on to our next award, let's do favorite cover, which. Which Star Trek book did we think had the favourite cover of the year? Oh, Phoebe and I totally don't agree on this one. <laughs> I, For me, <laughs> my favourite cover, purely, and I, I am basing this purely on, I looked at all of them and went, oh, that one appeals to me most. Um, and it was a Contest of Principles, Greg Cox. I like that, and I do not disagree that there are other other ones that are objectively more um, 
creatively put together or are more artistic or are slightly more creative but the one that I looked at and went yeah that makes me want to pick the book up was Contest of Principles it's bright it's it's colorful I mean it's it's blue and green mainly but it's got color pictures of um Kirk McCoy and Spock on the front it's emblazoned with Star Trek it it just it says it just says TOS to me you know TOS was always lent heavy on the technicolor and you know wanting everything to be bright and eye-catching and that was what this this cover said to me and I just thought yeah I like that there are other ones that are very artsy but they're um they're they're maybe some more subdued or they've got a really like monochrome color palette and to me just none of them made me want to kind of reach my hand out and pick up the book as much as Contest of Principles so that was why I picked this one up. And Faith, yours? Well, as Rose went for, you know, the bright and the colourful, I am going for the, the monochrome and I'm going for the dark, the moody Agents of Influence cover, the Dayton Words book. Um, from the moment I saw that, and the first time I saw it, I was, I was on my desktop upstairs and it rendered in beautiful, you know, crystal HD. The file was massive and it's dark and it's moody and the Enterprise just shone. And if you see the cover, it's the Enterprise going into kind of an asteroid field. Um, and the Enterprise is well lit and then the cells shine. And there's this kind of light coming down from the top of the shot um, as Enterprise goes into the darkness. The Star Trek logo's in darkness. And then in very small font, it says the original series in this kind of lovely orange glow and Dayton's name's in the orange as well. And I look at it and I'm looking at it right now and I just think that could be a movie poster. I think it's fantastic. I think it's dark, it's moody. And you could easily use that as a, a movie poster. And uh, I would like to give a, a special mention, however, to another book that I think has a fantastic cover. And that would be the Star Trek Kirk Fu Manual, which was also a Dayton Word release because <laughs> Captain Kirk kind of looking higher is the best thing ever. And... Um, I, I just, it's brilliant, let's be honest, the Kirk Fu manual. If there's not, a, I haven't read it, but if there's not a page in there of how to rip your top for dramatic effect, then miss the bullet. <laughs> oh. oh, it's a, it's a funny book, the Kirk Fu manual. <laughs> um, and what about you, Michael? Well, interesting. Well, Going to Roz's cover first, um, I, as you know, I collect comics a lot and um, I've never been a lover of, of um, what they call photo comics, where it's pictures of the actors on the comic covers, because I feel it takes something away from the art of the comic book, etc. So when I first saw Concept of uh, Contest, sorry, when I first saw Contest of Principles, I was thinking, yeah, I don't like the cover straight away. This is like before we spoke about the awards and because of that very thing. But as time went on, it was a very classic cover. Um, however, for me, I did actually pick um, Agents of Influence. Uh. Um, 
I did go with that because for me, for two reasons, really, yes, the color scheme, but also it's one of the few covers that actually reflects what happens in the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's why that stood out for me. I, th I think the only other one this year was The Higher Frontier by Christopher L. Bennett. Yeah, possibly, yeah. It is a good cover, and I agree. It would it, it does look like a, a really um, good movie poster. Uh, so yeah, it is lovely. It's very, I think it's it's beautifully artistically put together, and the Enterprise looks great on it. Um, but you'll always draw me in with bright colors. <laughs> I'm like a magpie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it, well, t almost on the on the on the same levels there. So. How about favourite character in a book? And and I'm, I'm for this category, I was thinking of books we've read this year as in new releases. Yeah. Because that could have been a wild field, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I had to think about this because there were a lot of new characters in a lot of the books that we read, and some of them were brilliant. And, and, and within those individual stories, those characters were really excellent, but there were just so many that I was finding that really difficult. So for me, I picked an existing character, which I enjoyed across multiple books. And that for me was Spock. I have really enjoyed reading Spock this year. And we've had some, uh, I, I've listened, of, of the books that I've listened to this year, there's been some peck, <clears throat> excuse me, some Peck Spock and some Nimoy Spock. I don't think I've had any Quinto this year, but... No, you've had Quinto and you've had Nimoy, you haven't had Peck. Oh, well, I was including um, Enterprise War. Okay. I listened to that this year. So, so I maybe had Quinto as well. So I, I've really enjoyed all the different iterations of Spock that I've listened to this year. Um, I think all read by uh, Robert Peckoff and all delivered in those distinct ways that capture the, the specific actor that would be relevant for that story. So um, that was what stood out for me. I think I've had, I've listened to some really good Spock um, development this year. So that was, that's who I picked, a good classic character. And I'm also, I'm also gonna go for a classic character and I'm gonna go for Jim Kirk because I, I started the year and I, I, I'm not the biggest TOS fan in the world. There, there are bigger TOS fans than me, but my favorite books of the year were all kind of TOS themed. And from Christopher L. Bennett's, you know, book, The Higher Frontier, which is set after Star Trek one, but before Star Trek two, Rafa Khan, um, you see a very different Jim Kirk. He's maturing. He's, you know, a wiser head. And um, he's not the brash Kirk of old. He's not even the brash Kirk of the motion picture who thinks he knows best. And it was actually you that got me onto the motion picture book, the novelization that came yeah. out. And then this, this is like a kind of follow up to that. And he's, he's much more immature and bull in a china shop kind of Kirk in the motion picture novelization. Yeah, easy for me to say. Um, but in, in uh, The Higher Frontier, he's a much more seasoned Kirk 
And again, in Agents of Influence, he's very determined, but, you know, when he gets to where he's going, he's like, you know, you're the captain. I'm here to help you. This is not my ship. You're the boss. And again, that's not really the same Kirk we see in the TV series, who's always brash and quite arrogant and quite, ah, yes, I'm here and I'm the captain of the Enterprise. So now I'm in charge. Uh, we don't see that in in Kirk this year. He's he's very seasoned. He, he he's almost Picard or writer like. You know, he's he thinks things through. He's he. I just think it's fantastic what they've done with him this year. And then we get to Greg Cox's novel, uh, A Contest of Principles. And again, he steps up in a way that you never really think Kirk would. He's not brash. He doesn't run off at the first sign of trouble to save his friends. He sticks to what he has to do and he delivers a result. And, you know, for me, he was great. So he is my character of the year. And that's a credit to the writers who did a fantastic job with him. Well, well, for me, first of all, I have Spock as a special... Sorry, let me do that again. For me, I have Spock as a special mention because in contest of um, principles, he has such an adventure and uh, I think he's in his element and he's almost having fun, dare I say, fun with a Vulcan. But um, it's a really good... Um, you can't even call it a, a B plot because each story runs concurrently and, and they're really enjoyable in that story. But um, I think Spock, that was a great Spock moment in that, in that, that story. Um, and Kirk, I agree. Again, contest to principles, we see such a change in the character of Kirk. I really like that. But for me, I actually went with Jean-Luc Picard and I Aww. went from the, the last best hope. Um and it will link in with a, with our next category, to be to be honest. But um, I, I I just felt that the story he he went through, um, giving this mission to help the Romulans, and he had such a sense of hope. And then across the the four years that the story is set, um, you just see every every ounce of that hope just stripped away, and you you find him back on the bar in in France and and. He, you know, he's given up, he's left Starfleet. And I think that roller coaster of a ride um, puts us in good stead for the first season of Picard. And, and I, I just really love the characterization of him within that story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like how we all went for classic characters. There yeah. were, like I said, there were so many good characters. And if I went back and analyzed like, every book that we read this year I know that for each book I'd be able to say you know that character that we'd never seen before was amazing I'd love to see more of them but it's just there's so so many of them so I think it's nice that we all picked a classic character because we even though we know them and we kind of feel like we know them inside now it's nice that the authors can still continue to develop them and do something a bit different with them mm -hmm. Definitely. so our next category is favorite audio adaptation. Mm. So this should be an interesting one. Yeah, I, 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 Vivian and I sort of had a discussion about the um, how to interpret this category heading. So I've went with the audible 
performance that most stood out to me for this year and much as I love and adore Robert Petkoff and all of the the books that he read for me this year the one that stood out in my mind when I thought about this was actually January Lavoie reading Die Standing because I think her Michelle Yeoh was flawless it was so so fun to listen to um and I really also enjoyed her Finnegan and she did a really passable um you know all the rest of the characters like uh oh what's her name Admiral Cromwell Crom is that what oh yeah yeah Cromwell and um uh Leyland and all all the rest of the characters um and uh, we had the Dax. Oh goodness, I'm totally drawing a blank on which one it was. Emily, Emily Dax. Emily, Emily. Emily, yeah. And she, um, she, she read very like Esri. But as I said to Fee last night, maybe that's where Esri got her mannerisms from. Was from Emily. So, uh, so I just, <laughs> I just think that that performance stood out to me this year because it was a bit different to hear it read by a, a, a female voice but it just worked so well for the story because her Michelle Yeoh was just brilliant the Giorgio in this book was so so fun to listen to well for me shocked to say it Robert Petkoff with A Contest of Principles and it's really simple to me why that was my performance of the year he was also fantastic in the Dayton book which I think you know, we've all got a wee bit of love for Agents of Influence. But in a contest of principles for me, um, it was TOS Spock, it was TOS McCoy, it was TOS Kirk. I could hear them. I, I you know, I could visualise it. And the, the only reason I'm picking a contest of principles over um, Agents of Influence is because it's set in so many different locations and I thought Petkoff really captures a lot of the, the environment. And a lot of that's down to Greg Cox and his writing, but I think it was the way Petkoff delivered it really won the day for me. The one thing I will say is it's so close between the agents of influence for me, it's a toss-up. I thought Jeremy Lavoie was great in Die Standing. Die Standing wasn't my favourite book of the year or in the top three for me, so that's why I can't pick that one. But the person who gets special mention would be uh, Kirsten for her novel, which she narrated, uh, To Lose the Earth. I didn't expect it, and... I listened to Architects of Infinity, which is the, the book that comes before that, which is read by January Lavoie. And I thought, oh, this is going to be rough, you know, going from one narrator to another. And I, I found the first chapter or two to be a wee bit bumpy because I was literally going from one book to the next straight away. But after the third chapter, I was just listening to the book and loving it. So I have to give a very special, you know, thumbs up to Kirsten there because I thought she did a fantastic job. However, it, it, it's 
Robert Petkoff with a contest of principles. It, for me, it has to be. Well, well, for me, um, I had a special mention too for Kirsten Beyer because um, I, I just, the, the fault of her reading the last or her last Voyager novel, I just thought was, was really, really, really good. And uh, she did a great job with that. But for me, and as I mentioned, it's linking back to our previous uh, award. It's actually uh, Robert Petkoff for The Last Best Hope. And um, the reason for that, um, pretty much, and I think people remember from our, our um, review show of The Last Best Hope and our discussions with Una McCormack, is the log entries. I, I think um, those were great storytelling methods for moving the book along. And, and I think those were a highlight for me that each time we got to a chapter, there'd be a new, a beginning of a chapter to be a new log. And Robert, Robert sorry, just did a, did a brilliant performance and, and, the, and the story itself, but certainly for Picard, I just felt it was really enjoyable and, and it just really stood out for me. Yeah, good choice, good choice. Oh, we're getting to the big ones now. We're getting to the big ones. So, our next one is favorite author. This is a tough one because can you do favorite author and favorite novel and separate them? And well, I can yeah. say I have. I, I had this problem as well because it's so difficult not just to pick who wrote the book that you enjoyed the most this year, but I tried to take into account not just the like the single book that came out this year but also take into account my sort of wider knowledge of the of the author and their bibliography and so although it wasn't the book that I chose spoiler alert I am choosing Dayton Ward because I think he did an absolutely fantastic job with Agents of Influence this year and I enjoy his work immensely over all years and so for me when I when I looked at the year as a whole and looked at all the other books of the same author that I'd read recently I think for me currently Dayton Ward was my favorite this year. Great choice. I, you can't argue with that and I think um, the way I listened to the books this year I listened probably to Dayton's book before I listened to Higher Frontier by Christopher L. Bennett. I don't think I really got around to listen to the books again until kind of uh, early summer. And I can't remember which one came first, but I tell you what, for 90% of the year from when I listened to it, so I know it came out in the summer, but from the summer onwards, Agents of Influence for me was probably my it was one of my favorite books of the year and i think dayton is a fantastic fantastic author um i've loved his work previously i think christopher l bennett had a fantastic novel with higher frontier especially covering that much time and wrapping up the kind of motion picture uh, Esper storyline, which had been teased a little bit in Star Trek. I think that was a fantastic novel. Um, 
I, I there's part of me that really wants to give it to Greg Cox as well because I thought a contest of principles was fantastic. <laughs> it's and so hard. From the day I saw that cover, <laughs> I thought, nah, I'm not gonna like that book at all. Couldn't care less. <laughs> it's an afterthought. Kirsten's the big book to finish the year out. I think a contest of principles was utterly fantastic. It was an amazing book. And it's a coin toss between the three of them. I think they've all been fantastic. So I'm going to ask Michael to go first. I'll think about it for another minute. <laughs> okay. I can't separate. I think everyone had great books from Una to Kirsten to David to John Jackson Miller. I think the, it's weird how obviously John Jackson Miller, it's just a way it rhymes. Yeah. I think they all had great books. However, I think Christopher L. Bennett, Dayton Ward and Greg Cox's books were simply a tier above for me this year. And I need another minute to think about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll do my sit on the fence part first. I think every author had a great year and I think every year their style changes and, and they grow as authors and the storytelling grows and everybody had, you know, I, I enjoyed all the, all the stories this year. Yes, there were books better than others and, and, uh, I, I, I'm really happy that we had contest of principles to end the year rather than the Voyager story. I'll be quite honest with that. I'm glad we had contest of principles. However, for me, no surprise, my author of the year is Una McCormack. Um, there's no surprise there, but really that's because she did such an amazing job of connecting the dots from Picard, uh, from, sorry, from The Last Best Hope to the beginning of Picard. And I think she'd done a brilliant job with that, with what she was mostly given. And obviously she did have input from the show and from Kirsten, but I just think she did a fantastic job. And also I really enjoyed the autobiography of Captain Janeway. I, I, I thought, or Catherine Janeway. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. She, she did a great job with that. And I can't wait for her Spock autobiography next year. But I just, I just felt that that really stood out for me, or she stood out for me as the author of the year. Yeah, good job. I mean, they're all good choices, but um, yeah, I actually, I kind of wondered if you were going to go for Kirsten though, because it was her last book for this year. So um, I was, I was swithering as to whether you'd pick, you'd pick either Una or Kirsten. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just think, I, I think Kirsten's story had so much to do. It had so much to wrap up in in so many pages that it struggled at times and and uh, and, uh, and i wish she had had two novels to finish rather than one but obviously because of her time and and all the great work she's doing on on all the tv shows that wasn't going to happen so but no so the light shines back to thieve yeah have you made up your mind or are you just making it a three-way tie? <laughs> Controversially, I, I think I think Greg Cox had a fantastic, you know, end to the year. And I, I agree with Michael. I think that was a fantastic book to end the year. I'm gonna say Christopher L. Bennett. Oh. And I'm gonna say Christopher L. Bennett because you know, something Michael said, you know, having to, you know, get from A to B, 
he started from picking up threads from TOS and the motion picture and he brought it all together and I thought it was a fantastic book and if you were to say to me what is the direct sequel to the motion picture I would say it's The Higher Frontier I wouldn't say it's Wrath of Khan I would say it's The Higher Frontier and I think to be able to do that and to go back and to come up with a, a story that fits so perfectly between the motion picture and Wrath of Khan I think that's an incredible thing and I think he he is my author of the year and that's not a slight to anyone else I just think for me personally that that was it well Chris Oben it's good at going back and linking in and filling in those gaps and he's always got a special place in my heart because it was a Chris L. Bennett book, The Buried Age, was the first book that Michael and I reviewed together for this show. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and that is a cracker because that, that's one that goes back and fills in like um, uh, like a chunk of, of Picard's timeline that oh, isn't that, that's, be between that's the Stargazer and the Enterprise. Yeah, that is a yeah. really good book. I need to reread that. Yeah, it's actually. like a nine-year gap. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, oh, that's a nice choice. Yeah, that's a great choice. So here we go, guys. It's the it's the last one, Drum and it's roll. our favorite. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's our favorite novel of the year. I'll let somebody else go first this time because I've gone first the last couple of times. Okay, Faith, would you like to go first? All I will say is this: um, it is for a large part of the year Dayton Ward's book. That was me, easily done. I, I thought it was that good a book. Um, the name escapes me for a second, but it'll come back to me. Agent Spinfluence? That's the one. I thought that was a fantastic book. I thought it had a, a big summer blockbuster feel to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have made that a movie. Um, it could have been even a Kelvin timeline movie. And I think it would have worked. I just thought it was a fantastic, fantastic story from start to finish. And I know I've given Christopher L. Bennett my author of the year, but my book of the year is A Contest of Principles. I thought, well, there you go. From as I've said, I thought when I saw that cover, now this is going to be an afterthought. <laughs> um, and I think there was three very separate storylines in that book. You know, two of them kind of diverge. The Spock and the McCoy storyline become one after a while. But overall, I thought the, the story was current. The, the Kirk plot line is very current. I think the McCoy storyline was fantastic. I enjoyed Spock's mini storyline that feeds into McCoy's storyline. I'm just trying not to give anything away because... It's a very, very good book, and I hope people go out there and buy it. And I think Greg Cox should be really proud of that story because it was. I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it was a great way to end the year. And um, as I say, it's not taking anything away from Agents of Influence or Higher Frontier because I thought both of them were also fantastic books. I'm just saying if 
contest contest of principles is one a and higher frontier and agents agents of influence to me are joint one b and there's there's nothing in it at all uh, but that's kind of how i see it probably uh, a one a first place and then a joint second place just a little bit behind well that's a great choice so my favorite story of the year um is agents of influence i really really enjoyed this story um though i loved picard um the last best hope this this story just i think from its conception from um a, a snippet from the trouble with tribbles about undercover operatives um from including characters from the vanguard series um, it's a fast-paced story, but there's still loads of character development. Um, there's, it's just a really enjoyable TOS story, and it's got a political intrigue. It's got the spy factor intrigue. It's it's just good fun. It's a good fun Star Trek story, and and that's why it stood out for me. Also, a cracking choice. It was mm. it was such a good book. I really enjoyed Agents of Influence. I think it was probably one of the ones. It was like, yeah, one of my like top reads from this year of the ones that came out in 2020. Um, it, it was a real stunner of a story. My favourite book of the year, I have to go aside with my husband here. My favourite book of the year was A Contest of Principles. For me, because just because it was You look less a, happy about that. It, well, <laughs> well, agreeing with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, I think it was just such an unexpected dark horse eleventh month edition, and I, I am not uh, I'm not so much a TOS girl. I, I not that I don't like it. I do I love TOS, but I was I was raised for, on TNG just because I was born in the eighties, and um, so TOS has always been kind of I had to go back and familiarize myself with it, and of all of the shows it's the one that I've I've seen the least times so I'm not you know I can't name every episode and quote all the text like I can from a lot of the other seasons um so I was when I saw the cover I really liked it was fun and I liked the the, the colors and everything but it looked very classically TOS and so for me that it was like I was just like oh okay yeah it's a tiny TOS book but I don't I don't it's me. I, I suppose I just didn't expect a huge amount from it because it looked very classically TOS episode story and for me that was I'm less familiar and so it wasn't really in my wheelhouse but I absolutely loved this book it was so well written you had the sort of three parallel storylines you got great um, characterization. There was great uh, secondary characters that were introduced. It it covered different species. It tied in um, like cultural issues and uh, and history about how things had developed within the solar system. And it 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 showed, as Fievan mentioned earlier, it showed great growth in Kirk's character because he doesn't just like cowboy up and drop everything and run off to the rescue um, when things start to go a bit wrong he actually like has to prioritize his mission and the democracy of this planet and 
Um, and so Spock gets to have the adventure and that was really well written and um, and he gets to kind of go off with Chapel and some of the security guys and get himself into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and I, I just, and then you've got McCoy and McCoy was written so well because he's just, he captured the grumpy Southern DeForest Kelly thing really, really spot on. So you had like McCoy trying to weigh up between his desire to escape his situation versus his desire to, um, you know, put the needs of his patient first and not want to leave anybody who needs to be treated. Everything about it was just a fun-filled, classic Star Trek adventure romp and I just it made me smile so much so for that reason alone I had to pick this as my favorite book because of all the stories that we've read this year that were thought-provoking and intelligent and clever and um, really well written and all those things this was all those things and really really made me smile so that is why I picked this. I think Greg Cox just knocked it out of the park. I love this book. Uh, the one thing I'll say is I think it's worth noting that in the year that the card came back to TV, the year that Discovery is still powering on in TV, we've actually all picked a franchise that's been off TV the longest. Yeah. And we've actually picked characters that have been around the longest. But one of the other key things that I think we have to, to note here is we've all picked books. I mean, we've picked, there's two books we've picked, but we've picked books that all made us happy and that we all really enjoyed. I mean, uh, Agents is a Mission Impossible set in Star Trek. Yeah. It's that kind of a book. Yeah. You know, you, you can imagine you know, the Mission Impossible theme playing right after the Star Trek theme. Um, and the the other book, Contest of Principles, it's such fantastic TOS that I think has been slightly modernised, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Um, because Chapel is such a strong character in this book. Yeah, it, it fixed and, all the bits and pieces that were a bit iffy about TOS <laughs> yeah. and up and brought yeah. them up to date, which I always enjoy about the the more recent TOS books. And I think I've commented on mm -hmm. that to a few of the authors about the fact that I appreciate that they made the female characters as big a part of the story and the plot development as the male characters because the female characters on the show were window dressing and they were just there to swoon and cower when stuff happened and I like the fact that they're really kick-ass in the books Yeah, I mean Uhura gets a, a good turn in Agents mm -hmm. and um, Chapel gets a good turn in um, Contest of Principles, Contest of Principles. <laughs> yeah, it just, Getting too late the for name's you, just, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I finished my coffee in the first five minutes of this. I need another coffee. Um, but yeah, I just think the authors deserve a lot of credit because they've done such fantastic work keeping these stories going from TOS, which, when did TOS start again? The 60s? The 60s, yeah. yeah. 
and we're about to go in, 66 and we're about to go into 2021 so that's what that's a long long time and I think the fact that they're modernizing it in such a gentle way is fantastic and again I'll come back to John Jackson Miller as well because when he did Enterprise War last year and that's a modern interpretation of the pre-TOS era with you know that kind of the enterprise under Pike, I think uh, he gave <coughs> uh, Una a fantastic role. I thought she was brilliant. Um, and I think the way he, he kind of brought the ship and made it a more modern interpretation of Pike's ship was fantastic. So you know, the authors who are going back to TOS especially, which is some of the source material is really problematic. And you could say the same about early TNG. The fact that they've modernized it in such a, a gentle and sympathetic manner is really impressive and they should be applauded for it. Absolutely. It's, it's just been a great year for Star Trek in books. Mm -hmm. Also in comics. And Year comics five. too, yeah. Your five is awesome. Yeah, it has been good. We'll have to talk about that on the show soon. Michael, if you'd ever like to talk about comics, I'm furloughed until March 2021 and we're sitting in the, the week before Christmas. I'm, I'm here. I'll talk comics. I'll talk anything. I'm, I'm more than happy to contribute. Oh, we can certainly organise that. And um, as well as talking comics in the new year, there are already some books announced for 2021. So let me quickly read those. Um, in January, here we go again, we have the next Star Trek Picard novel with The Dark Veil by James Swallow, which is set on the Titan. So it's a Riker story. In April, we have Shadows Have Offended by Cassandra Rose Clark. And that's actually set in the seventh season of TNG. And that's a Troy and Crusher story. So that should be interesting. And in May, we have an untitled Discovery novel, which I think is by David Mack. Um, in July, we have a DS9 novel, Revenant, and that's by Alex White. And that's a Dax, Jadzia Dax, I should say, and Kira story. And in September, we have the autobiography of Spock by Una McCormack. Now, I'm sure there'll be some more novels filtering through as the year goes on, because um, it seems quite light at the moment. So loads to look forward to already. Mm. We have to start planning our year so that we know what we're reading when. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure there'll be a David Mack book in there somewhere. I think that's the Discovery one. I think that's the one in May. I think that's the untitled Discovery one, I think. I, I wonder if it's maybe not, because I'm sure he said that he had started when we interviewed him in August, September time, and I don't know if that's quick enough to turn it around. Interesting. It just means there's an extra book in there somewhere we don't yeah. know about yet. I think what's interesting from the, the the few titles I've read out is that we have two new authors joining the um, the ranks, mm -hmm. as in um, Cassandra Rose Clark and uh, Alex White. Um, so we're going to have to go do some research and hopefully drag them on the show as well. Yeah, definitely. Always good to have new authors to 
um, interview and torment. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, very sadly, we lost an author this year, just just very recently, just um, about a week ago, we, we um, said a final goodbye to Dave Galanter. Um, and I think it's worth giving him a an honorary mention for his last book, which was a Star Trek discovery novel called Dead Endless. And that came out um, just at the very tail end, like this time last year in 2019. But um, our, our thoughts with his family at this difficult time. You know, it's, it's always a sad thing to say goodbye to an author, but it's, it's lovely that we're going to have new authors next year coming into the franchise, bringing new visions and new takes and new energy. So um we just have to you know remember they've had some fantastic novels some fantastic work and uh you know just remember to go back and read them every now and again yeah and also uh continue to look forward and and look forward to new talent coming in and adding to the the rich tapestry that is the star trek literary universe definitely so that's it for this show. That's it for this year. Um, thank you for welcoming us back, listeners. Thank you for um, picking up the captain's table again and, and listening and, and joining us. So as always, don't forget to turn the page and we'll see you in 2021. <laughs>